Session six. What proof does my testimony offer? And we begin as usual with the first question, which is, when have you been influenced by a celebrity endorsement? Anybody ever had celebrity endorsement? <laughs> I don't think so, huh? <laughs> okay. Let's look at Bible meets life. <laughs> Celebrity endorsements are nothing new. As far back as the 1760s, Josiah Wedgwood used British royalty in advertisements or advertisements to sell pottery. Mark Twain loaned his name and image to endorse fountain pens, clothes, and shaving products. Of course, celebrity endorsements have become a common practice today. What real connection is there between the star athlete and the quality of the shirt he is selling? Do we really think an actor knows a thing or two about the life insurance he is paid to promote? On the other hand, what really gets our attention is when a friend tells us about a product he personally uses. In a similar way, we can advise skeptics to read books defending the faith, but what can best catch their attention is seeing how Christ has transformed our lives. My grandfather spent 18 of his retirement years making weekly visits to the county jail. Armed with nothing but a Bible and his testimony, he led over 2,200 men to faith in Christ. His story was no celebrity endorsement. He was a man truly changed by the gospel. Our own testimony of Christ can make a difference too. And Acts 26 shows us how to do just that. Okay. So the one thing that best captures the attention of non-believers is seeing how Christ has transformed our lives. The best thing they can see. You know, they can look at a person and say, boy, remember when he or she was? Yeah. And that's the best advertisement right there. Many skeptics view a person's experience with God as merely subjective thinking. Something the person wants to believe. Your belief in God is nothing more than wish fulfillment. Can that really be said of a person whose experience is based on the historical fact that Jesus was resurrected and is alive? The Christian's personal transformation in Christ is based on the objective historical fact of who he is. Though people might argue with your ex explanation, it is hard to discount such a personal transformation in Christ. And we've seen that many, many times. What is the point? It's hard to ignore a changed life. Absolutely. You cannot ignore a changed life. Father, help us as we go through the study today. Show us the power of a changed life and help us to take note of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we have a couple of passages that we want to go through quickly. Uh, but first, the setting. At the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he traveled to Jerusalem. While Paul was in, Jeru in the Jerusalem temple, the Jews caused a riot and attempted to kill him. The Roman authorities took Paul into custody and transferred him to Caesarea Maritina, about 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean seacoast. The Roman governor, Felix, kept Paul in prison for about two years. When Felix was replaced as governor by Festus, Paul was given a hearing before Festus 
and King Agrippa. It's a long time to be in jail, right? Without trial, right? Let's look at the first passage we have. Acts chapter 26, verses 2 to 5. Who want to take that first one? I will. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And King Agrippa is a key word here in verse 2. King Agrippa II was the great-grandson of Herod the Great and the territorial governor in Israel and the surrounding regions. Pharisee in verse 5. The Pharisees were the largest religious political group in first century Israel. Uh, made up of Sadducees, Herodians, Essenes, and Zealots were the others. Sorry. My wife and I once led an early morning Bible study group. I challenged everyone in the group to write down their personal testimonies of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I discovered few had ever done this before. One man, a CEO, later told me it was one of the greatest responsibilities he had ever undertaken, but it was also the most rewarding. The Apostle Paul's defense in Acts 26 gives us a great example to follow. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and falsely accused of stirring up trouble and desecrating the temple in 24, 5, and 6. He had a hearing before Felix and the governor in Caesarea. Then after Paul spent two years in prison, Festus replaced Felix and presented the Apostle's case to King Agrippa. And now the king would hear him. Paul was not required to give a defense of his faith before the king. In fact, he had already appealed to be tried before Caesar. Paul could have stayed in his cell, but he saw this as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Agrippa was an immoral man and was likely involved in an incestuous relationship with his sister Bernice. Also in attendance were the military commanders and prominent men of the city in 25-23. So this was an opportunity to point many to Christ. Paul opened by announcing, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Defense renders the Greek word apol apologia, from which we get the word apologetics. A form of this word appears three times in this chapter, in 26, verse 1, 2, and 24. Paul's personal story of transformation would inspire the early Christians to persevere in sharing their faith, no matter the situation or the audience. Paul even declared, I consider myself fortunate, because he recognized this as a God-ordained circumstance to share his personal testimony. In Acts 26, 4 and 5, Paul told about his life before coming to Christ, Jesus Christ. We, too, should always begin our testimonies by sharing what our lives were like before Christ and what led to our need for Christ. 
details of our lives before Christ are only important insofar as they set up our need for Christ and our transformation in Him. The point of sharing our story is not to offer endless details about our sins and in effect glorify them. We should share just enough to show the emptiness of the old life. In another passage, Paul wrote, So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death, Romans 6.21. Paul's testimony in Acts 26 comprises 26 verses, and only five of those detail Paul's life before Christ. In other words, less than 20% of his testimony was the before picture. That's a good model for us to follow. Okay, thank you. Uh, notice, a personal testimony of how one met Christ is an effective way to share the gospel. So if you're kind of timid about sharing the gospel, start with your life story, how you came to know Christ. And that can break the ice, that can set the stage, that can you know, make things a little bit more less uh, complicated and less intimidating. All right? Luke, uh, uh, Luke recorded in Acts 26 how the Apostle Paul used his personal life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road to impact several important political figures in first century Roman world. Okay, so Paul can use his testimony uh, effectively. So can we. All right, moving on quickly. Uh, there's a lot more we could, uh, we could look at, but time limits us today. Uh, so let's look at the other passage that we have. And that is Luke 26, 12 to 18. I want to take that one. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priest. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and you will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When we share our personal testimony, it is important to adapt our narrative to fit the audience. That's just what Paul did. This was the third account of Paul's conversion story in the book of Acts 9, 1 to 9, 22, 2-21. And while the structure was similar in each one, different details emerged. I have shared my testimony before highly educated people at Oxford University, as well as in juvenile delinquent centers. I used the same outline each time, but highlighted different details. For example, Paul emphasized one element before King Agrippa that was not brought out in the other two accounts. When Jesus asked Saul why he was persecuting him, Jesus said, 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a spear-like prod used to move animals in a desired direction. This alluded to a Greek proverb that would have been familiar to the highly educated Paul, as well as to the prominent people he was now addressing. Over 400 years earlier, a Greek named Euripides wrote a play titled Bache, which included this line, you are immortal, he is a god. If I were you, I would control my rage and sacrifice to him rather than kick against the pricks. Jesus took something familiar to Paul to help him see that his efforts to persecute Christ's church were only hurting himself. And now Paul shared this with King Agrippa to show how his life was harmed without Christ. The apostle shared what would be helpful in communicating to his particular audience. Paul's conversion centered on the appearance of Christ in a bright light. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Even today the church has embraced that phrase as a shortened way of expressing conversion. I saw the light, but for Paul it was no mere metaphor. He really saw a light. He had witnesses who could back this up because Christ's bright light was shining around me and those traveling with me. Paul's testimony from this moment forward Paul's testimony from this moment forward focused on the work of Christ and the change he brought to Paul's life. Everyone's testimony should do the same, emphasize Christ. After all, our goal is not to get people to follow us, our desire is for them to embrace and follow Christ. <laughs> the work of Christ is more than what he saved us from. The change in our lives includes what Christ saved us too. A key part of Paul's testimony is the life and the work Christ called him to. Even as he was converted from his old life, Jesus gave him a new, cha new charge. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Paul's testimony did not center on a one-time event. He shared how it changed the whole course of his life. Paul's story was dramatic. A bright light appeared. He heard the voice of Jesus. He was physically and emotionally affected in addition to the spiritual impact it had on his life. A person might read Paul's testimony and bemoan that his own conversion was not dramatic at all in comparison. But that does not make his testimony any less valid or important. Spiritual transformation in Christ is miraculous regardless of the details and circumstances. One. To be transformed from an unfaithful spouse to a faithful, loving spouse is powerful. Two, to be transformed from unprincipled to trustworthy is powerful. Three, to be transformed from one who never prays to a prayer warrior is powerful. Four, to be transformed from loving self to loving others is powerful. Five, to be transformed from self-centered to Christ-centered is powerful. In Christ, we are daily being transformed more and more into his likeness, and that's powerful. Okay. Notice how so many things are so powerful <laughs> yes. that we don't even think about. We, they're, they're so insignificant to us. But here we are reminded of how powerful they really are, and we have to use that power to our advantage uh, in order that we may be able to communicate clearly to others how important the testimony is. Now you were given some handouts uh, by 
Albert earlier, and uh, we we're not going to do it today, but it's it's a good uh, um, outline on how to write a brief testimony. Uh, your life before my life before Christ, how I became, how I came to know Jesus, and how my life is different. And uh, you would be surprised at how impacting that can be uh, when you sh- when you pr- prepare yourself, when you present yourself to share the gospel to to someone, because they could be going through some stuff similar to what you've gone through, and not realize how their life can change until they hear uh, uh, of uh, another from a person, flesh and blood, how their life has been changed. Uh, so it's it's uh, encouraging for us to use that sheet. Uh, if we have opportunity to write a brief testimony on it, memorize it, and use it to share uh, the gospel with others. Last passage we have is Acts 20, 26, 24 to 26. And I'll read that one. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. It takes courage to share our faith, sometimes profound courage. That certainly must have been the case for Paul as he stood before King Agrippa II, the last Herodian ruler. This family had a history of opposing Christ and his followers. Herod the Great attempted to kill Jesus when the Lord was a young child, Matthew 2, 16-18. Joseph was warned in a dream to avoid living in Judea where Archelaus, son of Herod the Great, was ruling after his father had died. So Joseph took Mary and Jesus and settled in the town of Nazareth in Galilee, according to verses 19-23. Herod Antipas, another son of Herod the Great, beheaded John the Baptist, John 14, 1-11 and participated in the trial of Jesus, Luke 23, 6-12. King Agrippa I, grandson of Herod the Great, killed the apostle James with the sword, according to Acts 12, 1 and 2. No one could argue with the profound change seen after Paul's conversion to Christianity. Word had spread quickly that the man who once persecuted Christians had himself become a Christian. Paul's transformation could only be attributed to one thing, his encounter with the resurrected Christ. It always works. Paul preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as most important. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the pivot point of our faith and sets it apart from all other religious belief systems. Belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus was the driving force behind the growth of the early church from 120 people in Acts 1 to a movement that by that time it had reached Thessalonica, by the time it had reached Thessalonica in Greece, had turned the world upside down, according to Acts 17.6. Now as he stood before King Agrippa, Paul again highlighted the resurrection in his testimony, 26.8 and 23. 
Festus had brought Paul before the king to make his case, but the resurrection was too much for his cynicism. Now the governor exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Of course, Paul was not out of his mind. He had experienced the resurrected Christ. All the apostles had seen Jesus and were able to touch him and share meals with him. An empty tomb and the multiple, attest and, and the multiple attested appearances of Jesus convinced his followers that God had acted decisively in Jesus Christ, who alone is sufficient to bring salvation to everyone who embraces the gospel. As ludicrous as the resurrection may sound to people today, all the evidence points to the validity of the resurrection of Christ. Add to that the evidence of a changed life. Our own conviction of the truth of the resurrection is backed up by the transformation Christ has brought into our lives. People may question the resurrection, but they can't dismiss the change they see. Jesus lives and he makes a difference in our lives. May that be evident to those around us. Amen? Amen. Absolutely evident to those around us. Okay, let's look at how do we flesh this out? We're going to skip the questions today because of time. Uh, let's look at how we flesh this out, how we make this work for us on page 81. What will you do to tell others of your changed life in Christ? And three things we can do. We can write, we can pray, and we can share. First of all, write out your story of faith in Christ. And that's what you give you those handouts for. That will help you to do that. Note what your life was like before Christ. How you came to faith in him and what your life is like now. And then pray. Ask God to lead you to those with whom you could share your testimony. Remember, God is omniscient. He knows who needs it more than anybody else. And if you pray and you ask him for those to lead you to those who, who need it, he'll lead you. And your testimony will work for them. Pray for an open door into the conversation about the difference Christ has made in your life. Remember, prayer is important. Don't just go and do it. Okay, go to the Lord and ask the Lord. Lord, talk to the Lord about it. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Please help me. Show me what I need to do. Show me how I need to do it. So prayer is important. Uh, sometimes we can get so excited about doing things we can forget to pray. Okay, prayer is important. Um, and then share. Share the testimony of your walk with Christ. Let it be a natural part of a conversation. Okay, so three things we can do. We can write, we can pray, and we can share. Again, what is the point? It's hard, it's hard to ignore a changed life. Okay, now you may share your testimony with someone, and they may not react right away, and may walk away, but trust me, it's going to impact them in such a way, they're going to keep thinking about it. And nine chances out of ten, they're going to come back to you and say, well, you know what you said about such and such? That really, something you said about such really impacted me. And they'll tell you about it. Okay, so we need to be mindful uh, to share our stories of life change with others who have yet to make a commitment to follow Christ. Remind them it's not too late for others to hear and respond 
uh, to the gospel of Christ. It's never too late. As long as we are above ground and breathing, it's good time. And let's utilize it. Okay. Let's uh, see if I see anything else here we need to highlight. You know, a half an hour is insufficient time to really deal with all this stuff. Okay, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks and praise today for reminding us of the power of a changed life and how we can impact others with our testimony of what our lives were like before we came to know Christ and how it has changed. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the fortitude to be able to do that with strangers in some cases and others that we come in contact with and perhaps others that we are familiar with. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us that courage to share with others how you have changed our lives through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can have that unique experience as well. Bless us now, Lord, as we leave this building, but not your presence. Continue to get glory for yourself throughout the course of this day that you have made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.